Welcome to the Write It Down podcast with the 1513 Network. I'm Brooke Murata, bringing you one-on-one interviews to challenge, to inspire, and to encourage. On the mic, we have NFL Hall of Famer Rod Woodson. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Rod. He played in the NFL for 17 seasons, spending 10 years with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He became a Super Bowl champion with the Baltimore Ravens for Super Bowl 35. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2009. Rod Woodson describes himself as a disciple of Christ disguised as a football player. He inspires us to let go of our hypocritical ways and live a life that God intended us to live. Sit back, relax, and get your pens ready because this is Write It Down. Well, you are on the Write It Down podcast with the 1513 Network. Again, I'm Brooke Murata. I'm sitting here on the phone with Rod Woodson, NFL Hall of Famer. Uh, There's a lot of accolades I can list here about you, but... One thing that really, really stands out to me about your your story is you've, from what I can tell, you would rather be a person, a disciple of Jesus, a husband and a father, than be known by all your accolades. Is that correct? Yes. So, I mean, when I played, you know, I always said that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a disciple of Christ disguised as a football player, and then when I coached, I was a disciple of Christ disguised as a football coach. So that's the that's the foremost thing that I think I am in my life is that uh, God is my centerpiece. Uh, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and um, I do everything to please Him and to honor Him, and uh, hopefully I'm doing a decent job. Yeah, absolutely. When when did that change for you? When did that click? I mean, have you always been a firm believer? I mean, you grew up going to church, but when did it really set sink in for you? Well, I mean, I, I was born and raised Catholic. My mother's Catholic. My father's a Southern Baptist. Um, so I took the catechism classes and that uh, and that stuff, like, uh, right going into junior high. My mom had us take it. So I was, like, born and raised Catholic. And then I married my wife um, years later. So kind of going in and out, you know, always going to church, always have been a firm believer in who God is. And then... Um, after I got married, my wife was a uh, Presbyterian. Uh, we were going to a Catholic church, and probably two years into our marriage, we left service, we left Mass, and I was just like, I'm, I'm not getting fed. You know, there's something more. And I was still playing with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, I was still, um, you know, believing in Christ. You know, did I follow Christ every day? I was still falling short of the glory of God, which, you know, we always are going to do. I was still growing in my process of being a believer. Uh, and then I went to Baltimore back in 1998. Um, mm-hmm. And um, there's a, a our, our pastor for our team was Rod Harrison. And we had a lot of believers. Uh, we started doing our own Bible study. Uh, Rod had his Bible study at his house. And it was the second year I was in Baltimore, 1999, that um, we were just praying and talking. And, you know, I just felt the need that I need to give my life dedicated to God. I mean, I was I was baptized. I did all that. But I, I didn't dedicate myself to God. And then, you know, instead of saying I was a believer because um, everybody can believe I, you know, when I was a kid, I believed in, I believed in Santa Claus. Right. I believed in the Easter bunny. <laughs> you know? yeah. so, uh, um, you know, I became a follower of Christ. Right. Um, 
And it was in 1999. I can't remember the exact date, but it was about mid-season. Uh, we were in the basement of Peter Bower's house or townhouse, and um, and that's when I dedicated myself to Christ. To Christ. Wow. Was there? Um, was there? Did you ever feel at any point in the NFL like? Not necessarily ostracized for your faith, but there's a clear shift when you make a life change and, and the actions and the things that you, you say and do. Did you feel um, a little bit of an outcast when that happened? I mean, you were still, I mean, highly successful in the NFL. No, I think that um, guys don't like, and people in general just don't like hypocrites, right? Right. So you can't be you can't be a hypocrite. You can't say one thing and do another. So you know we we are not what we say we are, but we are what we demonstrate ourselves to be, time and time again. And once I made that dedication, um, you know the guys respected all my guys who I used to kick it with and talk to and all that stuff. They respect that. Hey, listen, I'm never I was never a guy who swore and cussed anyway. Right. But I would you know I would drink. We would go out, and I was like, I'm not doing that stuff anymore. And uh, they respect that. And I, I think the main thing is, like, you know, one thing I kind of, you know, got a kick out of is that, you know, they'll be sitting there in the locker room talking the way they normally talk in locker rooms. And then they'll see me come and they'll be like, I got to stop. Mm. Like, you can't you can't talk that way. And, um, you know, so it was a respect thing. Um, but, you know, I don't think I felt any. I, I think anything that I, I was I, I was I appreciated my guys more and my friends more. Um, and I think they appreciated me more because once I said I was doing that, it, it, I wasn't going to change. I didn't go back. I didn't falter. Um, I mean, I faltered. I was, I was still human being, but they saw that, you know, that I truly meant what I said and I am following Christ. And then that led other individuals to plant that seed in them. And, you know, uh, you know, individuals, God uses us as conduits and you know, we plant seeds and then God's, uh, he waters and gets the increase, and then he does the harvest. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's, it was a it was a it was a great experience. Yeah, wow, I love that. I love that part of your testimony. I love what you said about you know people don't like hypocrites, and I think that's the biggest thing that as a follower of Christ that we have to be aware of. Um, kind of segueing or kind of backtracking actually into you know growing up. Did you always want to play football? Was there just this like? Did you think that you'd be this successful? Like, what was what was the dream as a kid? <laughs> no, I I had no dreams. I was just a knucklehead kid. <laughs> you know, most kids don't have. I mean, we can say we had dreams, and right. I don't know if I believe when people said hey, when I was five, I just knew I was going to be an astronaut or I was going to be a doctor or I was going to be a baseball. Like, I just like that's hard for me to believe that because I know when I was a five year old kid, I was a little knucklehead kid, and I just wanted to run to the park and go play. Right. You know, and then when I came 10 years old, I was just a bigger knucklehead kid who I went to run to the park and go play. <laughs> so true. Uh, you know, I was born and raised in a biracial family growing up in Indiana back in the 60s and 70s, which wasn't the best thing wow. at that time, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, it taught me a lot. It taught me family's not always blood. Uh, family's more than that. Yeah. Um, but when I was a kid, you know, I just started playing football because my I was the youngest of three boys. My older brother started playing football, so I'm like, hey, I want to play, and then I started playing, and, you know, I played all that whole time, but before that, we swam, 
we swam competitive for our little local uh, park, Memorial Park in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I swam from six years old all the way up to 13. And then I got tired of swimming competitive and I started running track as I was playing football. Wow. And then that kind of helped me get a little bit faster, a little bit better. Um, But I never thought that I was, you know, and back in the day, it was only three channels. You know, Mm -hmm. we didn't have 200 and some odd channels to watch all these games. And, you know, you watched, I watched the, you know, from Indiana, I watched Chicago Bears, Cincinnati Bengals, and the Cleveland Browns. So that was our, like, regional games that we always watched. But I never thought about playing in the National Football League. I never thought it was a dream. You know, I just kept playing. I played when I got to junior high. I played when I got to high school. Uh, matter of fact, um, my sophomore year in high school, I quit football. Oh, wow. Because the way my coaches were talking to me. I'm a person that, you know, I believe that, you know, you don't need to yell at me. You don't need to cuss at me. Speak to me as a human being with some integrity. Um, because as soon as you yell at me, you lose me. Yep. And, uh, but, you know, football is a testosterone-driven manly sport. We we, And it's kind of still that way today is that they believe they have to break you down to build you up. Uh, I'm just, I'm not a fan of that. Mm. So I quit, I quit. Uh, luckily for me, I had a, a great track coach who talked me out of it. Um, probably it was like three weeks later and I went back, I apologized. Uh, the coach still was cussing and all that stuff. But w- my, my track coach, his, his, his thought was that you don't let anybody take what you love away from you by the way they're speaking to you don't let them detour you from what you love to do because of that wow so that kind of helped me get back into it you know and i'm luckily for me you know i i was listening to him and i uh and i you know went back played my junior year played uh wasn't even on on mention all state my junior year but i was all american in track so i thought i was going to run track and do track in college more than anything leading up to my first couple years in high school and then my senior year it all kind of clicked in football and i got multiples offers all good to go all over the place um but once i looked at it i knew i wanted to play in the big 10 which was closer to the midwest which is where i'm from i wanted my mom and dad to come see me play so and purdue was the one school that um offered me uh not a starting job, but offered me the opportunity to play as a freshman where all the other schools were like, oh, we, we maybe will play you, maybe we'll redshirt you. And I just didn't uh, want to get caught in the numbers game. So I never really thought that even then that I would play pro football. Pro football. I just I, I just kept playing a, fo- a game that I've been playing since I've been nine years old, and I love playing it. Wow. So what did you what did you study at Purdue? What was your, what was your track? I tried to get into double E, which is electrical engineering, because Purdue is known for its engineering school, one of the best engineering schools in the country. Uh, didn't make it quite. It's kind of hard <laughs> to make it. It's uh, I think there's only there's been only one athletic scholarship given out to um, uh, people athletes come going to Purdue, and that individual graduated in engineering. Oh, it's wow. just hard to do. You, you got to stay in the terminals too long. So I went to the management school. Uh, my major was supervision, wow. um, which so that was a lot easier than engineering. I can tell you that. Yeah, 
I mean, so like at what point in your, your college football career was it, was it a little bit of a, a taste of like you could be in the NFL? Well, after my sophomore year, I made the my first All-American team. Um, I made the Playboy All-American team. Um, and, you know, people just kind of start talking to me going into my junior year, saying that, you know, you're one of the better players. If you have a good year, maybe you can go out your junior year, which back then, nobody did. Yeah. No, no athletes was leaving after their junior year. And I'm like, oh, I want to get my degree. You know, you know, why do I leave? Um, so I played my junior year, played really well, was an All-American. Going into my senior year again, was a preseason All-American again. Um, and then um, had a decent senior year. Um, and that's when it kind of clicked in where you know, scouts start coming in, general managers are calling my agent saying, Hey, we really like him. We're, you know, we're really going to, we were really looking hard at him. That's when the reality is like, Oh, wow. Maybe I can do something with this career. And, uh, then I ended up getting drafted 10th player taken in the, um, 1987 draft. Wow. And what was that day? Like, do you remember it at all? Oh yeah. I was sitting in my living room on uh, Jefferson street in Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, I just stayed with my family. Back then, they were flying people to to New York and all that stuff. Yeah, it was just me and my family and my agent Eugene Parker, who's also from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and he went to Purdue before I went to Purdue. Um, we were just sitting in um, in front of our living room watching the draft, and um, the draft board. You know, they were thinking I was going to go in the top five. The draft board. Uh, kind of shifted a little bit with uh, a, a plan B trade, um, um, which never happened only once, and that was in 87. Then a couple of players were taken off the board who nobody really thought was going to be taken that high. And Kelly Stouffer and, uh, and Junkins, who was a, he was a linebacker from Duke, that kind of slid me down a little bit, which mm-hmm. is a blessing in disguise um, because some of those teams that were in the top 10 didn't play good football really never played good football still today didn't play good football it's not playing good football um so i was kind of blessed to go to pittsburgh um where i had some great coaches and um you know tony dungy was a great mentor to me still is a great mentor to me um but he was uh he was exactly what i needed uh my first several years in the national football league because he was patient he was kind was a man of god yeah um he kept pushing me to do everything the right way uh on and off the field so um it was kind of a blessing to to get that call you know on draft day the first day of the draft and um saying do you mind us us drafting you and be you becoming a stealer and i'm like heck no yeah i mean honestly i i think that like you say i mean just things that that happened that led you to the Steelers. I mean, you can't you can't plan that. You can't. I mean, just things happen in that that fashion. I kind of want to go to um, Eugene Parker. Your relationship with Eugene Parker, as you mentioned, um, he was there on draft day. What's the dynamic between? What was the dynamic between you two and the influence in his life and in, in your life? Well, Gene, you know, you know, God puts people in your life throughout your life to be there for you and help mold you and put you in the right path. 
Um, I don't, I, um, and he was just one of those guys that was there. He He's from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, he went to Concordia High School. I went to Snyder High School, but then he went to Purdue. Uh, he played um, a little bit overseas basketball for a couple of years, and then he became a lawyer. Uh, he worked for a law firm, Berkeley Dixon & Sutton, in Fort Wayne back in the day. Um, and then when I came out, I was just, I need, I, you know, I was like, you know, Gene, I need somebody to help me navigate through this craziness. You know, I got all these agents and financial planners and, and all these people who want to talk to me, and I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and, um, and he really didn't either because he'd never been through that process, but, um, he said, I would definitely help you. And he wasn't my agent per se. My first agent was Marvin Demoff. Okay. Um, out of out of California, but he was kind of like that go between Marvin and me. So if I Marvin need to say something, Marvin needed something done, then Gene knew he can talk to me, and Gene and I talked in the same language. Uh, well, then once my contract ended up um, expiring with the Steelers, and I resigned with them, I signed with Gene because Gene became an agent at the same time. So I was Gene's first client in the national football league and the only reason i went with him because i could trust him whatever he was going to say everything he was going to do for me is that he's going to do for me like i was him yeah and um, i trusted him wholeheartedly 100 percent um you know he was my guy uh known him for you know since i was about 16 17 years old our relationship goes back that far so he was just that person that influenced me to do right in, in life but then he was always talking to me about, and this is before I made my decision to go to be a follower of Christ. You know, he would always ask me, you know, did you, and we, we had this little conversation, like, did you, did you answer your phone call? And he's talking about, did I answer my phone call from Christ? And I'm like, yeah, I did. But I hung up after about 25 minutes, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I, I did. But now I hung up after two hours, Yeah, you know, and. And then, uh, but he kept pushing me. And then once I made that decision in 98, fast forwarding, um, you know, about 11 years, I called him. He was the first person I called. Wow. And I was like, well, guess what? I just got a, a conference call. Uh, I'm on a 365, uh, 27, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm following Christ. And wow. then he was, he was the biggest fan. Like he, at first, I mean, he was like, man, it took forever to get you to get, to get there. <laughs> like what took you so long? But I mean, it's, you know, God uses your path. Yeah. And he uses your process to, uh, to help others. So. Absolutely. Um, I think, um, I think that's the biggest encouragement to what you said of God putting people in your life and you know the patience that Eugene had with you because I mean on the other on the other side as a believer when you're trying to love on somebody that doesn't really believe or isn't quote-unquote picking up the call um, you can get discouraged yourself because you're like what why isn't it clicking for this person so the patience that he had with you I mean I can imagine getting that phone call from you saying that you decided was probably just like the biggest encouragement to him in his walk Oh, absolutely. And, and, and yeah, and I know for him, he never got discouraged. You know, he, mm -hmm. he knew how good it was on the other side. Wow. And he wanted me to feel that, um, you know, this is like me talking to people today. I don't get discouraged because I knew I know that God is going to use them in his time. Yeah. You know, our, our timing is a little different than his. Yeah. You know, so 
um, I know that God is still working on them. He's still molding them. He's still, he's still, you know, trying to get all, he's peeling back those layers mm-hmm. like an onion. Um, you know, so as you, as you peel back the layers, he's molding them in the same time frame. So, you know, everything is done on his time. Uh, we always look at the, our clock, so to speak. And we look at our calendar and saying, man, this is, I mean, this is, you've been doing this for way too long. <laughs> yeah, and, like, what's going on? You know, right. And then God, but God is saying, no, Yeah, he's, he's doing exactly what I want him to do at this moment. Yeah. Uh, I need him to keep getting through these things. I need him to go through things so he can relate, he can relate to the next person that comes to him Yeah, because, because he knows our future. So he knows that Johnny Whoever Johnny is, he's going to meet Johnny 25 years from now, and he's going to go through the exact same thing. He'll baby get Johnny through it. We're going to take a quick break from our show to discuss Patreon. Patreon is a secure site that allows creators to make albums, videos, and podcasts like the one you're listening to now. So if you enjoy Write It Down, please head over to our website, xvxiii.com, or spell out 1513.com in your browser. Click on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and show your support. Write It Down is made possible by the 1513 Network, so please send over your love, your support for the other shows as well. If not, just stick with Write It Down because I'm the coolest, the realest, the illest. Anyways, back to the show. As a coach, you know, you've you've um, coached as well. How do you... You know, you go back to the, you're a coach, dis, you know, or you're a disciple of Jesus disguised as a football coach or whatever it is. Sure. Like you are a disciple uh-huh. and then, you know, the Lord uses our vocation or our talents or whatever to ultimately bring truth. So as a coach, when you have players, I mean, I can imagine you can see a little bit of yourself in them. You know, they have the hunger, um, maybe their first round draft picks. Is there is there a way that you try to relate to them as a coach? No, I just think I, I think the biggest thing is that you, you want to show them that you care more than a helmet. You know, that's what Tony Dungy did to us. Um, when we got there, my rookie year, we had five rookies in our secondary. We were so dumb. <laughs> we just didn't we didn't know football. I mean, we were athletic, obviously, but we really didn't know football to the point that how we you know we grew into it uh with with his with some of his guidance and other coaches but you know we had five rookies in our back end um we were really young we didn't know what we were doing but tony talked about life he talked about football he invited us over to his house um cooking barbecue him and his wife for all of us and he he was just he he accepted us as us but in the same time frame we saw him as him so we saw how he lived. We saw how he spoke. We saw the things that he talked about on a daily basis. We seen that he wasn't a hypocrite, and he never—he wasn't a Bible thumper. Yeah. So he he wasn't hitting me over the head with the Bible. He was just living it. Yep. And as he was living it, it becomes more obvious what he is. Mm. And you know that to me was the biggest part of it. Um, you know, so for me as a coach. You know, I want to show the guys that I, I I care for more than just a player. And we're going to talk about life stuff. We're going to talk about life skills. We're going to talk about the family. We're going to talk about your belief in, you, you believe in something. I mean, if you believe in nothing, if you believe, that's what you believe in. You believe, you're atheist, you believe in nothing. Mm. But everybody has a belief system in something. 
And it was my, not my job, but I felt it was my obligation as a conduit of Christ to give them bits and pieces to let them move in their direction. And uh, so that was fun. Um, that was enjoyable. That was good to see guys grow and see guys ask questions about the word and scripture and, and, and how you do it. Um, you know, cause you know, I, I had Tony Dungy, I had Eugene Parker, I had Rod Harrison, but then I also had Napoleon Kaufman who played in the league forever, who I went to his church. So going through him and, and it, as I got out of football and continuing my, uh, my ministry, so to speak, because we all are called to be ministers of Christ, um, through the order of Melchizedek, um, you know, so mm. it was fun. I, I enjoyed it. I've always enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoy giving back to what was given to me. I believe it's my obligation as being a disciple of Christ to speak on his behalf. Now, I, I don't go about it like being on a street corner <laughs> and what they, yes. they, you know, with yes. a, uh, with a microphone, megaphone and, and the signs, and a megaphone and signs. Oh, thank that's goodness. Not what God is. No, not, that's not what God has asked me to do. Yeah. Uh, but maybe God does ask people to do that yeah. for him. Right. Um, you know, so, um, I, I know what he's asked me to do. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's been enjoyable. It's been rewarding to see individuals grow and it's been rewarding to see individuals come to Christ. Yeah. Uh, if you can save one soul, it's all worth it. Yes, amen. Well, and I, I love that you brought the the street corner, you know, megaphone thing up again. You know, this is not blasting people that do it or a knock on them, but I think that as Christians, a lot of times we can lose touch with the world, and we can, um, you know, we're supposed to be in the world, not of the world. But at the same time, I think sometimes we get a little too like seclusive in Christian bubbles and we don't even know how to relate to people that aren't and it pushes non-believers away. And so right. I, th anyways, go ahead. No, no, and you're, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. I was just listening to say, right. You're, I mean, you're, I think that if you're overly aggressive, mm -hmm. um, they feel that they don't have a choice. Yeah. And nobody wants to feel that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, God has given us a choice. He, he does call us he, by his faith, by our faith, um, by his mercy. God is, uh, he draws everyone. We're all drawn to Christ, but then we have to make that choice if we're going to follow him or we're going to follow the Lord of this world. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's a little deeper than the street corner stuff all the time because they, they pit uh evil and they think evil is you're you're gonna die yeah and but scripture it's it does state that but the scripture you gotta remember the scripture the bible is talking to christians mm -hmm. so it, 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 i mean he, yes he's it's help is given us a foundation of belief of what god is and who he is and where he's from and his standards but the bible is made for christians so when we're listening to that we're talking to people who have already decided to be absolutely to give themselves to God. And it's those people who fall back. Yeah. That's who he's talking to. Not the people who haven't given themselves yet. Right. Right. And I, and I think so, that's, that's also another thing is, you know, we read scripture to 
you know, encourage us and to um, ignite our faith and to challenge us. But we don't need to be using scripture to scare the crap out of people who have no idea (laughs) what the Bible says, you know, with the turn or burn (laughs) or, you know, like those things. It's like, that's not that's not effective. That's scaring people. We don't need to be scary. We just need to, you know, be real, be raw. Just like you said, like nobody likes a hypocrite. So when you're and and same with Tony Dungy, he didn't thump you over the head with the Bible. He was living proof and his life as a as a testament to what he decided to do. Um, But no, I mean, I could go on and on about this (laughs) because it's like very passionate about it. But I I wanted to backtrack a bit uh, to your what you said about your family is biracial. Um, Your parents were married in 1960, correct? Yeah, they're made in the sixties. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and uh, and biracial. I mean, what was? I mean, that's what three years before Martin Luther King's speech of "I Have a Dream." Right. I mean, right. your 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 family. So, did people disapprove? What was that like? What What do you remember well, of that time? So you know, you got to know who. In, first of all, you have to know Indiana. Mm-hmm. Indiana's a. It's not. It's not really real. It's more diverse today than it was back then. Um, but also, like Martinville was like the head of the Ku Klux Klan back in the day. Wow. So that area. Um, so you, I mean, you had your pockets um, where they didn't agree. You know, my dad was from the South. My dad was from Tennessee. My mother is from Indiana. So my dad's side of the family saw it in reverse. So my dad saw it where they were. You know, his 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 grandfather was a slave. Wow. And then, you know, he saw him working hard, not, you know, not making anything. And then, um, you know, his sisters had a little bad taste in their mouth towards uh, white people, a European um, uh, background. And, you know, so my mom had an issue with some of his sisters. And then on my dad's side, my, excuse me, on my mother's side, it was my, her father, um, who didn't approve of us, of, of, of interracial relationship. But the one thing I've learned about um, being biracial, one thing that taught me growing up back then, because it's more acceptable today right. than it is back then. So back then, I what I've learned is, what I said earlier uh, in our conversation, is that family's not about blood. Because mm. your, your biological cousin or brother or whatever kid yes they are family um through lineage through your bloodline but my real brother is my brother in christ who who's fighting for me on a daily basis so my family has kind of changed and morphed uh, some of the people in my mom's side of the family i never talked to after i really learned about how they were acting and once i got a little uh, success in my life um i just told them you know i don't need to be a part of that i don't need that in my life um it's unfortunate that you didn't want to accept us right for who we are in the tense of our uh, color of our skin um which was kind of hard because once i got success they all wanted to accept me yeah wow you know and then i i remember for even on my dad's side and on my mother's side that i gave them tickets one time mm-hmm. and i told him i'm only giving them tickets once because you're my father and i love you 
or you're my mother and I love you. But I will never give them tickets again because they didn't accept me for being me. They want me now because they get something out of it. Wow. So um, it it made me kind of grow up a little faster in a sense that I understood what family was more than just bloodline growing up as a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old. Right. Um, in indiana but i think over the long haul it's it's been beneficial because my mindset of what families look like has been different than the vast majority of people for the longest amount of time yeah wow and i and i like what you said about it kind of forced you to grow up fast um i think you had to balance like maturity and and grace but also realizing like the truth of the matter is is they really only wanted a relationship with you because you were reaching success and me like my pride i would be like "Uh uh-uh you're not even getting one ticket like and i would bring up probably a full record of wrongs of what they've said to me (laughs) or how they made me feel so the fact that you're able even to extend that but also balance that with the maturity of like no this is i'm stamping this out of my life like, I don't want this, like, shaping who I am and this mindset because family is more than just blood, like you said. Um, I absolutely love that. Um, so you also went, transitioned into, like, being an analyst and commentator. What was that like, um, being watched in a different way? Well, it was a little different because, you know, I never, I was kind of quiet. Mm-hmm. I was never really a talker. Um, even when I went to Purdue, I mean, I took some just pass fail classes on, uh, communication in our communication field. And all it was, was the professor would come in, he would throw a newspaper down on the table and we would have to talk about the topics. And if you didn't speak, you failed. If you talked, you passed. And it made me come out of my shell. Mm-hmm. And I did that for, I did that for a year at Purdue, which helped me, but I never thought I would, you know, get into you know, commentating, getting on TV. Um, I, I think the biggest thing for me when I first did it, because I was I'm normally a shy person, that, you know, how do I take all the stuff that was given to me over my 17 years of football, and when they ask me questions about what happened, not get over, don't, don't overanalyze the situation. <laughs> okay, yeah. I was like, you know, I was trying to figure that out in the first couple of years. You know, it's like I would be talking and then I would correct myself in my head mid sentence. But uh, it, it was a good experience. I, you know, I did it for uh, nine years. I uh, really enjoyed it. Um, you know, worked for the NFL Network. I still worked for Westwood One calling games. Um, so, you know, mostly everything I have in my life. And, you know, I have because God gave me this natural gift. And for some reason in the United States of America, they like to pay people who are athletic. And, uh, you know, I, I just played one of those sports that uh, we got paid okay. Yeah. Wow. So were you, like, nervous your first year being on the NFL Network, like, in the show prep? Because the, the, the minute mics come on and the camera, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I, like, tense up and I forget everything I've ever known. Yeah, the- yeah, the, fir- the first couple of years, yeah. I mean, it, it was. I remember um, I-, I was trying to say this coach's name. His name was Steinbeck, and, and I couldn't get it out. And somebody somebody taped me, and they put it on YouTube. My kids went in and they saw it years, uh, like a couple years later. And they still tease me today. They, you know, they'll, they'll sit at their kitchen table and go, Steinbeck. 
and, and that's what I did. I mean, it's like, but when you do something wrong on TV, it feels like it's an hour long and it's only three seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, so. most people will forget it. It's you that'll remember it the rest of your life where you're like, oh, don't do it again. Don't do it again. But most the world keeps spinning. So um, so you have five kids, correct? Five kids, yes. Wow. So what's that like? It's like your own little football team, little army. Yeah, I mean, they're, I mean, they're older now, 29 till 19. Okay, wow. My, my, my oldest is 29. My next is 28, or excuse me, 27. My next one is 23, then 21, and 19. Oh, wow. So what was so it like five, raising all of them while you were playing? Well, you, gotta, you have to ask my wife that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have her on the hey, show was, next. Uh, I was playing. Yeah. I was playing. She was doing all. I mean, the great thing is I, I met a good woman um, after my second year in the league um, back in Indianapolis, Indiana, and uh, we fell in love. Two years later, or well, two and a half years later, well, no, three years later, we're married. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and she's, she's a strong country woman from Indiana. Um, she's a great mother. She's, and really, honestly, God has really kind of blessed me because we're kind of the opposite. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, you know, a lot of times you always hear, uh, you know, um, you do hear opposite tracks, but you hear people that's, that's hard for that type of relationship to last and grow. And, you know, people who have more common interests, they, that, that relationship more, it, it flourishes. But honestly, I think, um, what my wife has been to me. So if, you know, if I'm a book, all the empty spaces in my, in my book, she's filled. Wow. So she's made me more compassionate. She's made me more kind. She made me more patient. Um, you know, God put me, put her in my life to show me that love is being more, it's not so short-sighted like I always saw it. Cause I was very impatient with people. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of my pet peeves in life. You know, I have several pet peeves, talkative people and people who stop at a stop sign when nobody else is around. Oh my gosh. Like, please, yes. dude, there's nobody here. Stop. Yes. Can you just go? Please? California roll that. Mean, yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's been, um, you know, that's, that was my take. And, uh, you know, she, um, the great thing is, the great thing is she, you know, she, she kind of, she's helped molded me. Yeah. And then in the same, fr- same time frame, um, I made her a little tougher because she didn't like competition. She wouldn't stand up for herself. She would always let people just steamroll her. Mm. And I said, you know, God wants you, you can be, you can say no. Yeah. It's, it's okay to say no. And then over the course of time, she's become, um, she, she's become a little tougher. She's become, she stands on her own. She still doesn't like confrontation. Still, she's still loving and caring and giving. Um, but when she has to say no, she does. Wow. So where did you guys meet? Like, how what was the story? We, we met. So I went back to Indiana with um, a good friend of mine, uh, Greg Turner, who I ran track with at Purdue, and my brother. Uh, we all met there uh, in Indianapolis. The season was just over. So it was like, uh, it was, an, well, it's not just over, but it was in April. So it was in the spring. And, um, and she was at the same restaurant bar area. So we ate at 
this place and then she we went over to the little bar area and she was sitting in a back booth with her roommate at the time and i had uh i i seen her from afar and i walked over to her i said something really corny like my friends are watching me please act like you like me <laughs> and you know i gave her my number and i said if you want to have lunch please give me a call she called me the next or she called me that night uh the next day we had lunch and we had lunch and we sat there for five hours and talked wow which i've never done before and i left there like she's okay she I, like right? her. <laughs> I mean i don't i didn't i don't think i've ever talked to a woman that long before outside of my mother oh my gosh you know so i was like all right then uh you know our relationships led one thing to another um and we got married uh, three years later, or two and a half years later. Wow. And now five five grown kids. Five and kids later, five dogs, two cats. Yes, we are, we're, we're a loud house. Wow. I, I mean, a loud house for somebody that doesn't like talkative people. I mean. <laughs> well, I shut them off. If they, if they get too loud, I will, I'll go in my room. Really? Yeah, yes, so you retreat. So describe to me like your ideal Sunday. Is it you watching football by yourself or you don't want to watch football because you were in it so much? No, I watch football because I still got to speak it. I still got to mm, talk. I do true. I do a radio thing on Mondays uh, about the games. Um, you know, I call about eight, nine games a year wow. uh, for Westwood One. Um, so I still, I'm still a part of it. It's who, it's who I am. Right. You know, I have... Everything I have in my life, I have. God has graced me with it, yes, but I have it because of, of football. Um, so I played 17 years. I commentated for the longest period of time. I'm still commentating. I coached for four years. Um, I do football camps for kids. Everything I have in my life, I have because of football. So I, I feel that, you know, it's always going to be a part of me. You know, I'm going to be 100 years old. And I'm going to be sitting in my house saying how bad coaches are or how bad players are. Now, he can't do that. You can't. Oh, you, why didn't you see that? I mean, I, I talked to TV quite a bit. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. Um, well, Rob, we're getting towards the end of our show. I don't want to keep you too long, but this show is called Write It Down because when you write things down, uh, you remember where you've been in life, maybe what God's brought you through. Um, but each guest has a write it down to share with the audience. So what's something that you want us to write down to, to remember? Well, the, the, the first thing is, um, I, and I think I said it somewhere in the show already is that we are not who we say we are we are who we demonstrate ourselves to be on a daily basis so uh, what that saying is you know words are hollow uh, unless they're done by unless they're followed up by actions um you know you, you can't say that you are you know you want to be the best at something uh but you never train you, you can't say you you want to you know you want to be a doctor but you, you know you don't want to go to you don't want to go to pre-med school right uh, you know so you just you know I, I think that's one of the biggest things and one of my i think for me as a follower of christ um probably the um my favorite scripture mm -hmm. is uh first john 2 6 and it says um it says um he who says he abides in him talking about christ ought himself 
also walked just as he walked. Yeah. And um, really just what it's saying is that, listen, Jesus Christ came to this earth. He was perfect. We're not perfect. But if we strive to hit that mark, if we strive to always pray and we, he never got upset, you know, we can ask people things. Let our yes be yeses. Let our no be no's. Um, stand up, have integrity uh, about who you are in your life. And then I think you get more respect from people over the long haul. And, that, and that'll help you open more doors to even speak to more people. Yeah. And maybe maybe doing that plants one seed. Then the next person comes around, like Eugene planted that seed. And then other people watered. God gave the increase, and then God gave the harvest. Yeah. So... Um, you know, hopefully I'll have the opportunity to keep planting seeds in people and other people come around to, to water it and God keeps growing it and, and he keeps having the harvest. Absolutely. I love that. I love the, just basically what you've, you've, the truth that you've laid out there of just walk it out. You can't just talk about it. You got to be about it. So I really appreciate that. And I appreciate you coming on the show uh, this late morning um, in your time, afternoon of my time, but I really appreciate <laughs> it. And it's been a pleasure chatting with you on Write It Down. Brooke, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. You take care, Rod. Thank you for listening to the Write It Down podcast. This podcast is a part of the 1513 Network. You can catch a variety of shows on their website, 1513.com. If you enjoy listening to Write It Down, please subscribe, share with your friends, and if there's any ink left in your pen, write a review. For more content, follow the fun on Instagram by following at W-I-D-P-O-D. That spells WIDPOD. Super cool. Stands for Write It Down Podcast, but it's abbreviated to WIDPOD. Anyways, thanks for listening, and we will catch you later.